Today we're talking about uh, kids, but not just kids. We're talking about families. We're talking about parents. This all, as Jason mentioned, it's all part of the same thought for Paul. Okay, so when he's writing to the Ephesians, this is all part of the same thought. In fact, all the way through what we'll talk about next week even with, uh, with servants and masters, employees, employers, this is all part of the Christian order and the idea of authority and submission that Paul has in mind through the guiding of the Holy Spirit here. And so these are all connected. So we can't just separate the idea of marriage from families from our workplace. These things are all connected. You, what, what do you call someone who acts differently in the workplace than they do at home? Or do they act differently at church than they do in the workplace? We call those people hypocrites, right? We don't want to be that. So we need to make sure that what we're talking about, these things are all connected. You don't set your Christianity aside when you walk in the doors to your where you're employed. You remain a believer because Christ is in you. We talked last week about the picture that marriage is, really the last two weeks, and really our desperate need for the power of the Spirit in our marriages to make it work. On our own, we cannot do it. We talked about how the church submits to Christ in all things because He's worthy of submission. He's worthy of us doing that based on His life, His sinless life, and His perfect sacrifice. And so, husbands, we were challenged a lot last week, specifically how we lead our wives, how we lead our families is supposed to model and picture how Jesus leads the church. Both husbands and wives are responsible for their own obedience to Christ. But husbands, I think, based on Scripture, should take the initiative in leading and on setting the spiritual tone in their families. Guys, that's, that's on us. Now, again, no one does this perfectly So we have to realize that all of what we talked about last week and the idea of marriage at its core is pointing us to Jesus. It's pointing us to Christ. He has already done those things. And so marriage in essence is intended to point us to a redeemer, to show us that we can't do it on our own. And so this text about kids flows right out of that idea. Let's read together chapter 6, verses 1 through 4, and then we'll pray. Children... Obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and your mother. This is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Let's, let's pray together. Lord, we want to do this better. Moms and dads sitting here, we, not one of us, I think, would say, we've got this figured out. We'll teach the class and let everybody know what we do is perfect. None of us are saying that, Lord. We need you to teach us better how to parent today. Us fathers need you to teach us how to not provoke our kids to anger, how to not discourage our children. Husbands and wives, mothers and fathers, we need, Lord, to be taught how to raise our children in the fear and admonition of the Lord. We need to be taught these things yet again. And so, Lord... Through your spirit and through your word today, Father, um, teach us these things better. In Christ's name, amen. So as, as we were, my family was leaving church last week, uh, we were kind of reviewing some of what I had, I had mentioned that was a challenge to the husbands and the wives, and, but also reflecting on the joys that come with marriage. And so um, 
You know, I had some hard things to say for husbands, especially last week. I really challenged you guys and myself, as well as the wives. But my wife, in that conversation, she kind of reassured our kids. And she said, you know, we dad talked about husbands and wives and said some really difficult things. But, but don't worry, next week he's coming for you. Because today's about kids. Now, this message is directed, boys and girls, at you. But it's not only boys and girls, because no matter how old you are, you are a child. You are a son. You are a daughter to someone, right? You may be sitting here and you may not be a husband or you may not be a wife or you may be a husband or wife but may not have kids. That doesn't mean you get to turn off and take a break. Okay, I'm not giving you that freedom today. We still need to be, just like we talked last week and two weeks ago, about how even if you're not married, you need to be engaged in this because marriage affects so much. The same way is true today. Even if you don't have kids or you you won't have kids or even if you don't want to have kids, whatever the case may be, you need to pay attention because every one of you influences the kids in this church. Think about that. So the people that you don't know all that well sitting across the aisle, even today, they're going to influence your kids to some degree. Now, this can be a really awesome thing. For my wife, she wasn't saved until she was an older teenager. And the, the, the adults that were connected with the youth ministry at the church that she was saved at, they were just hugely foundational in her understanding of the gospel and what it looks like to live that out and accountability and fellowship The youth pastor couldn't be that to all of the kids. And so the adult sponsors that were there in the church involved were that to my wife. And so this is a big deal in my mind. There's an old saying that you've heard that it takes a village to raise a child. I don't know that I'd use that language specifically, but I'd absolutely agree that it takes the body of Christ to do that well. Children of all ages today, church family of all ages today, you're going to impact kids. And that's how it ought to be. Now, I'm not saying that you impacting my kids gives me the right to say, okay, you're going to take on the the role of forming their spiritual identity and who they are. And that's not what I'm saying. As a dad, I bear the bulk of that responsibility in my home with my kids because I'm called to lead. But here's the truth. You're going to impact, you will impact my kids, but I'm still responsible for them. Mothers and fathers in the room. The rest of us will impact your kids, but you're still responsible for them. So look at the first three verses. Who are these verses directed at? These things are directed at kids, at children, right? Now, it's true that we're all kids, we're all children of someone, but based on the context and what we've already talked about with marriage and that sort of thing, it's obvious that Paul is talking to younger kids. Okay, so the first part of this talk today kiddos is aimed at you because i want you to hear these things towards the second half i'll talk to the parents about some things this first part is is, it's to you guys paul is isn't giving instruction for the parents to go tell the kids later on he's talking straight directly to kids by the leading of the holy spirit so just an observation here there's really two but the first one is before we dig into the text to notice that both paul the author here the early church, and obviously God himself values kids, values children. Just think about Jesus. 
his disciples are rebuking kids, like, get away. Jesus doesn't have time for you. We don't have time for this. Go somewhere else. And what does Jesus say? He rebukes them. There's a, a case to be made that he's angry with his disciples in that moment. He's saying, stop. Do not forbid them to come to me. Jesus loved kids. You know the verses that talk about how God knows every part of you before you're even born, knit together in your mother's womb. You know the verses that talk about how every hair on your head is, is numbered and about how our days and even our very steps are outlined before we're even born. If anybody should value and fight for the lives and well-being of kids, it should be the church. It should be us. And that's why I think this idea of, of abortion and fostering and adoption is so close to the heart of so many in our church. I was thinking about that this week and I re-listened to Stephen's message from uh, November of last year on Orphan Sunday. And he made a comment in there that struck me. And he talked about how the church cared for, for orphans. And in that context, he asked this question. And it was a, a challenge question. He said, how do we continue the church's history of orphan care in our context today? Because they cared for kids differently than we have to in some ways. You remember in, in Greco-Roman time in Paul's day, if you didn't want your child, Stephen mentioned this, you just go leave him at the trash heap. I know that sounds harsh and that's a horrible mental image, but that's what happened in history. And the church, Christians would go and they'd pick these kids up and they'd take them in. Raise them as their own oftentimes. They saved them from an uncertain and truly traumatizing future. This kind of care, friends, should be seen in our own homes before we ever try to bring anybody else from the outside in. If how we raise our kids mirrors how everyone else in the world raises our kids, then we're probably on the wrong track there, aren't we? If our parenting methods look just like those of non-Christians, we really need to repent of that and determine by God's grace to do it His way. And how do we know His way? From His Word, from the example of Christ. There's something, the second thing I want to point out before we dig in that is really obvious that Jason already mentioned too. While not directly commanded here, it's obvious that Paul assumes that children are present in the worship gathering when the church comes together. So I don't know that we can necessarily mandate this. We certainly encourage it for you to have your kids with you in the worship service each week. It's certainly not wrong for you to do that. This was the pattern of the Old Testament. In their worship gatherings, when they offered sacrifices, the family went. This is certainly the pattern in the New Testament and the early church. Kids were with their moms and dads. As we get in, here, this, I'm going to say something now for the third time, I think. So I'm hoping you're not sick of it. I'm hoping you're remembering this sort of thing. But remember where we've come from in verses 15 and on. We have to keep this in mind, that walking in wisdom is directly connected to submitting to one another in verse 21. So that is lived out this way. How a wife submits to her husband, how a husband loves and leads his wife, how kids obey their parents is all what it looks like to submit to one another. That's all what it looks like to be filled with the Spirit. 
Kids are given two commands in these verses. You can see them. They're very plain. Paul doesn't make them confusing. Number one, right off the bat, he says, children, do what? Obey your parents. So obey your parents. And then a little later on, he says, honor your father and your mother. So let's just condense it down to those two words for you kids today. Obey and honor. Kids, I'm going to ask you a question. You just raise your hand. How many of you know the fruit of the Spirit from Galatians 5? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness. Raise them up high. Don't be ashamed. That's a good thing. Okay, many of, many of our kids can say, you can put your hands down now. Many of our kids can say those fruit of the Spirit. We've, we've learned songs about them. That's a fantastic thing. But boys and girls, did you know that being filled with the Spirit as a child begins with something not found on that list? Being filled with the Spirit as a child begins with obedience. Obedience. I'm not saying that that one fruit is necessarily more important than all the others mentioned in Galatians 5, just that one has to be learned first. To continue with the fruit analogy, let me just say this. Obedience is the soil from which the fruit of the Spirit grow. Dads and moms, okay? So parents here. Maybe you don't have little kids at the moment, but you surely remember this. Did you first teach your kid about joy and patience or about obedience? Did you expect faithfulness from your young child or do you just expect them to simply do what you tell them to do? I hope the answer is pretty obvious. I've got a one-year-old. I don't reason with my one-year-old why he shouldn't play with his dirty diaper that I just took off of him. I just say, no, stop. Am I the only one who has to do that? I hope, gosh, I hope not. I got weird kids. Okay, well, I'll take that, Paul. So, I mean, we don't sit down with our three-year-old and try to explain all of the health benefits of a, a well-rounded diet and why they can't eat candy all day. We just say, no, you can't have any more candy. No, the answer is no. <laughs> you can't have any more. So how does that usually, how do your kids usually respond to that kind of an answer? Does it make them happy or does it make them sad? Or does it sometimes make them mad? Parents, let me ask you this. Does how they respond change what your answer should have been? So if you say, no, you can't have candy all day and they get angry, throw a fit, does that mean you did it wrong? I don't think so. A tantrum by a child who isn't allowed to eat their fill of candy does not mean that you've made a mistake as a parent. In a similar way, a tantrum by a teenager who doesn't like your rules about curfew also doesn't mean that you've messed up as a parent. Yeah, uh, older kids, teenagers, man, even some young adults still throw tantrums. They just look different. So instead of throwing their bodies on the ground and stomping their feet when they don't get their way, maybe they ignore you. They give you the silent treatment. Or maybe they slam a door. Or maybe they punch a wall. Make no mistake, these kinds of responses are unacceptable responses to authority. The answer is not to just give in, to stop the fit, or to stop listening to what they're saying altogether. The the answer is to address these issues, to address the problems in light of God's Word to both parents and to children. And that's what we want to do this morning. Guys, the school's guidance counselors, therapists, And all the parenting books in the world will not fix the issue appropriately unless the Bible alone is driving their diagnosis and treatment. It has to be God's word alone, not other psychobabble, 
that the world wants to add in, God's word alone. That's the only answer to these things. Only the Bible can fix it. Only God's correction can truly restore them. Because this is at its core, I believe, a sin problem. Disobedience, rebellion is a sin problem. That's the opposite of obedience, right? Disobedience, rebellion. Paul says that obeying is right. So that would mean that disobeying is what? Is wrong. What are tantrums if they're not disobedience? What are tantrums if they're not rebellion? We know, even our young kids know, I think, that rebellion, disobedience, tantrums, they know that they're wrong. I read somewhere this week even that as early as 18 months, children are forming their moral understanding of things. And they're almost always finished developing by age 11. Now, I don't know how accurate that is, but man, that should not scare you, us as parents, but it should make us understand that these first young years are extremely formative in the lives of our kids. And if we wait until our kids are six, seven, eight, nine, until we start giving them biblical ideas for why to behave the way that they should, we're on the tail end of things. We're running out of time. We need to start early, brothers and sisters. And so even little kids understand disobedience. And so we know that obedience is right and disobedience is not only wrong, but it is a sin problem at its core. It's a problem with our kids' hearts. But like the old saying goes, it's easier said than done. Kids, what your parents tell you to do determines how easy it is or not, doesn't it? Let me, let me explain this this way. Ridge, we have like almost matching shirts on today, so I'm picking on you, buddy. Um, what's, your favorite, what's your favorite candy? Snickers. Okay, so let's say that your dad says, Ridge, every night this week before you go to bed, you have to eat five Snickers bars. Is that command, not the big giant ones that make you sick. I'm just talking about the little fun size ones, you know. If he says, eat five Snickers bars bef- before you go to bed, is that easy to do or, or hard to obey? I'll come over and help you if it's too hard, you know. But I think that's an e- that would be an easy thing. If, if your parents said, hey, eat a piece of your favorite candy before bed every night, you'd be like, got it. No problem. No problem, Dad. But when your mom says, hey, you need to clean your room before dinner, oh, our demeanor totally changes, right? So it's, it's easy or hard depending on the command that's given. Here's the thing that I, I, I want us to understand, and I'm learning this still as a parent. Honestly, all of these things that I'm explaining to you, I'm still learning as a parent. So please, please don't see me up here thinking that I have it all together because I'm learning along with you. But here's something that I have tried to learn that people older and wiser have taught me that I hope to impart a little bit to you, but parents know is an acceptable answer. And not only that, it's a, I think it was John or Kathleen Babin, but they were like, no is a full sentence. I don't have to explain why I've said no. No is a complete answer. It is a full sentence. Uh, kids, let me ask you another question. How many of your parents have ever said no to something and then you asked them why and they said, because I said so? My kid's hands shot up in the back. If you didn't see that. Okay. Adults, how many of you remember your mom or dad giving you the same answer? 
Probably most of us. Now, maybe you kids or young adults are out there without kids and you're thinking, I'm not going to do that to my kids. I'm going to explain, you know, all the reasons why we, we do the things we do and the rules that we have. Good luck. Okay, if you can do that, you know, if, if you can convince your kid to not play with their dirty diaper, you know, write a blog and I'll read it. But probably it's going to happen. You're going to say, I said no because I said so. That's the end. In our home, our kids often hear this. We say, asked and answered. You've asked the question. We've answered the question. The discussion's over. Now, when your parent says that to you, kids, how does that make you feel? Because our feelings are the most important thing, of course. Um, how does that make you feel? It's kind of bummer, isn't it? This is, sometimes it's just disappointing. It's a, it's kind of a bummer. Sometimes it, it makes you angry. It makes you mad. Now, just for clarity, I should have mentioned this, Ridge. I don't think your dad's going to tell you to eat Snickers before bed every night. So don't get, don't get your hopes up too high here. Guys, when, when our parents say that, because I told you so, when there's no explanation, it's hard. It's hard to just deal with that. It's hard to just obey. But you know what? You don't know as much as your parents. As old as you are, you don't know as much as your parents. Children are given instruction and expected to obey even though they don't understand all the reasons for the instruction. I I mentioned this sort of thing last week. I said God's people didn't always understand His loving leadership, but they were still held accountable for following it or not. They were still held accountable for their own obedience. And kids, so are you. As much as our society wants the family unit to evolve into like this modern democracy where every member has an equal voice and the same amount of power, these verses paint a very different picture of what a Christ-like family, what a Christian home should look like. Now, I'm not suggesting that kids have no voice ever in the home. But you'll not find in Scripture anywhere where it tells a parent to interact their kids with an equal authority kind of a thing. Nowhere. Instead, parents show biblical love for their kids when they occupy positions of authority in their homes as God instructs. That's how you love your kids, is to lead them well. As children grow in maturity and understanding, I think it's it's at those points that our explanations can start to get a little lengthier. You know, as our kids grow and mature, I'm going to explain a little bit more. Well, here's the reason why I said no to this. But there are times when it, the answer is just flat out no. You don't start with the lengthy explanation. You just start with simple obedience. We'd like to change this verse. Kids, you'd probably like to change this verse to say, children, obey your parents when they ask you something easy to do. When they ask you to do something that's easy, obey your parents. Or like, children, obey your parents when they promise to buy you cool stuff as a reward for obeying them. The Bible doesn't say that. These verses don't tell us that. What does it say? Obey your parents in the Lord. Why? That's right. That's right. That is the right order of authority that God has established. And so it's right for you to obey them. Obedience is a fitting response to your parents' instructions. Um, kids, have you ever gotten dressed? Your parents ever said, hey, go get dressed. We're going to be leaving. Go get dressed for the day. And you come out and your parents are like, no, go change. 
Now, there's a variety of reasons why they might say that, but in our home, it's usually because they're wearing ripped up clothes or, you know, swimsuits and it's 20 degrees outside. It's just, it's not going to work. When it's 13 degrees outside, we're not going to let you outside of the house with flip-flops and a tank top on, you know, because your apparel is not fitting for the season that it, that you're in, right? You're not going to let your kid wear a swimming suit to a funeral. I mean, unless it's a really cool funeral, I guess, or a wedding or so, you know, you're not going to let them dress inappropriately for something like that because their, their attire is not fitting for the occasion. It is always right and fitting, kids, for you to obey mom and dad. Because this is God's good design for the home. And because it's God's design, it's what's best. It is what works best. Now, now let me clarify something here. Kids, your parents are not God. Don't expect them to be. They will mess up. They will give you instructions that don't end up working. They will say things to you that they will have to maybe come back later and apologize for. But because of God's good structure of authority in the home, it's right for you to obey your mom and your dad. So when your dad asks you to take out the trash or to finish your homework, you're supposed to obey your dad like you're obeying the Lord. And our obedience to the Lord should look like what he says. He says, do all things without grumbling or complaining. I know that's a tough pill to swallow, but that's what it means. When your mom asks you to clean your room or finish the vegetables on your plate, you're supposed to cheerfully obey her as an act of love and service to Jesus himself. Obey your parents in the Lord. That's what that means. Kids, you obey your parents because you want to please Jesus. That's why you should obey your parents. Because you want to please Jesus. Your obedience is for Jesus just like your whole life is supposed to be for Him. That's what it means to obey your parents in the Lord. The second part of this, second command that we mentioned, was honor. Honor your parents. This comes from the Old Testament, from Exodus chapter 20. You remember the Ten Commandments. What kid can tell me which commandment this comes from? Emery, do you remember? Hey, good job. Number five. I may or may not have said that to him this week, but... Number five, fifth commandment. I think it's interesting too. The first four commandments are dealing with how God interacts with us, right? It's like this vertical, you know, no other gods before me. Don't take the name of the Lord your God in vain. Honor the Sabbath, those things. They're vertical oriented. And then starting in, in commandment five, they start to be horizontal oriented, how we're supposed to interact with one another. And the very first one that God gives to Moses for his people is straight to you kids, That should, I hope, mean something to you of what God expects from you, of how God values you. The very first commandment given in interpersonal relationship is to kids to honor their father and their mother. And then Paul adds this part on. He says, this is the first law with attachment, with a promise to it. So if you honor your mom and your dad, there's something that's going to happen as a result of this now, we won't go through all of the, the, the passages, but in the Old Testament, you, may, you might remember that if you dishonored your mom or your dad, there were big-time consequences, like serious, 
serious consequences for dishonoring your parents. And there's instruction, specific instruction given for Christians on how to honor and care for their parents even as they grow older. And I don't know if you remember when we were going through Matthew. It was uh, Matthew chapter 7. And Mike Capps preached about this. He preached on something called Corbin. Anybody remember that, that word? Go back and look it up if you want. Jesus rebuked the Pharisees because they were mistreating their parents and using this idea of Corbin as a loophole. And he rebukes them seriously for that. Not only does the Old Testament, God himself set up loving and honoring parents, but Jesus reinforces that. And Paul, through the Holy Spirit, does the same thing right here. It's no small thing to God. Honor means to respect, to show reverence to, or to submit to. I mean, here's one of the toughest parts about being a kid. And you adults, you still remember this about being a kid. When your parent isn't maybe honoring God in the moment, you're still called to. It's real hard. I mean, we, we talked about this with husbands and wives the last two weeks. Wives, when your husband's not honoring God and loving as he's supposed to, you're, suppo- you're still supposed to obey his commands. Husbands, when your wife's not submitting to you as to the Lord, you're still supposed to love her as Scripture commands. Children, even when your parents aren't doing it right, you're still called to honor them. You don't honor them because their behavior is worthy of honor. You honor them because of the place of authority they hold in the home. And God blesses that kind of behavior. Now, I don't mean, kids, that you should follow or do something sinful just because your mom or your dad says to you. You shouldn't keep a secret or do something wrong or lie just because your parents tell you to because God's word, the ultimate authority, has already said, no, don't do that. So if there's ever a conflict there between the two, be absolutely certain, go with God. Even if that means disobeying your parents. But I would encourage you not to do that in a way that's rebellious and sticking your fists in their face, but gently and kindly say, Mom, Dad, I feel like what you're, I hear what you're asking me to do would go against what God has already said. I, ca- I can't do that. I won't do that. There's some extra motivation, as I said, in verse 3 for honoring your, moms and, your mom and your dad. It's this. God's blessings flow to the child who on, obeys and honors their parents. God's blessings come. We sang on Jordan Stormy Banks this morning, and it talked about, and I think the second verse, it talks about the the, the land of Canaan, the happy land of Canaan. That's what this is originally referring to. Paul's going back to scripture reference that talks about Canaan. It was this land of promise and blessing that the Israelites inherited because of God's previous promise to Abraham. And this land of blessing was just there waiting for them. But what happened? Their grumblings and their disobedience caused them to wander around it for years For years, their stubbornness kept them out of the promised land. And so Paul uses this very specific Jewish historical event now as a a general idea, this general blessing for kids everywhere, saying that if you obey God by honoring your mom and your dad, then it will go well for you and your days will be long in the land. Listen to this quote. Cheerful obedience to your parents is a pathway to experience God's blessing. That doesn't mean life will be easy for you and you'll always get what you want. After all, Jesus was a perfectly obedient son and he had a life full of trouble and hardship. 
But if you obey and learn from your parents who instruct you in the ways of God, you will become wise and godly yourself. And you'll know God and experience His presence and protection wherever you are and whatever you do. I think if we really believed that, it might impact not only kids how you behave and interact with your parents, but parents, how we interact with our kids. And so I want to switch gears now and and talk about that. Because in verse 4, Paul switches gears away from the kids and he turns his attention to another part of the family. He's talking now to parents, specifically here, first off, to fathers. And he gives us another contrast. I don't know if you remember back uh, in in chapter 4, Paul gave us a bunch of contrasts. He said, instead of doing this, do this. Well, he's doing it again here. And he's saying in in verse 4, instead of provoking your kid to anger, do something different. Bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Colossians is almost a parallel book to Ephesians. And so if if you've read them at the same time, you'll notice a lot of very similar themes and almost word-for-word quotes at times. And Paul does it here with this text from Ephesians 6.4 in Colossians 3.21. He says, fathers, again, speaking to fathers, not just both parents, he says, fathers, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. Provoke is found in both of these passages and it has this idea of stoking a fire. You just have wood-burning stove or just around a bonfire and you take your, your brand or your, your stick and you start poking the fire you're provoking that fire to, to reignite and to get hotter. That's this idea of, of what's happening, of what we can be in danger of doing. So here's three things for parents, specifically fathers, some ways that we maybe unknowingly provoke our kids to anger or discourage them. These come from a book that John MacArthur wrote. The first thing he said, we discourage our kids with excessive discipline. Think about that for a second, because this one's kind of struck me. Well, some, some of us think, well, if some discipline is good, then a lot of discipline must be even better. And it's almost like sometimes us as parents, specifically fathers, we kind of hold this punishment over our kids, almost like we enjoy it. And we're wrong to do that. We shouldn't appear to be eager to punish our kids And no punishment should ever be brutal and it should never be bullying our kids. John MacArthur says about this, he says, parents should always administer discipline with the good of the child in mind, never more than necessary and always with love. Because when we raise our hands in anger, it does not please God. When we raise our voices in anger, it does not please God. Excessive discipline is a way that we provoke our kids to anger and discourage them. Second thing is, Actually, the opposite of that, and that's inconsistent discipline. This one I probably see even more. Imagine how frustrating it would be for a kid. Some of you lived this. Imagine how frustrating it would be for a kid to have your parents allow you to do something one day, and then the next day you do the very same thing and you get punished for it. How confusing would that be? How discouraging would that be? We've all seen it happen. Maybe we've even done this to our own kids. Oftentimes, it's out of laziness or out of embarrassment that we don't deal with some kind of wrong behavior when we should. Just be real for a second. I'm being real. I've done this. Out of embarrassment or just out of laziness, I let something slide that I shouldn't. And then it happens again 
and again. And in the kid's mind, they didn't get in trouble the first time, so there's nothing wrong. But then by the fifth time, I'm irritated and I do something I shouldn't. Have you been there? It happens. This, this kind of inconsistent discipline harms our kids. It's discouraging to them. This kind of inconsistency will eventually result in confusion and sometimes anger because our kids are always trying to hit a moving target of what our rules are. Man, I can understand how that would be discouraging. Scientific studies show, not Christian even, no Christian bent to this. Scientific studies show that when boundaries are clearly defined for kids, especially young ones, and discipline is consistent, these kids have proven to work harder, they're more confident, and they're less stressed. They're less anxious. We tend to think that rules are bad. We tend to think that if you put too many on your kids, they're going to rebel and they're going to hate you. The opposite is actually true, we found out. Parents, I'd encourage you, set biblical boundaries and be consistent with enforcing them for the good of your child. Thirdly, and there are more, but I just boiled it down to three, the the last thing that we can provoke our kids in and maybe discourage them in is, is just through general unkindness, cruelty, neglect, constant criticism, condescension, indifference, detachment, hypocrisy, a lack of fairness, or even sometimes intentional humiliation can all cause profound discouragement in children. If a child is exposed to these things over and over, guess what's going to happen to them as they grow up? They're going to grow up thinking that that's how you behave as a parent when it's not. If we see this as the norm in our homes, then our kids are going to have a really skewed and wrong view of what being a parent looks like, of what raising our kids and training them up in the fear and admonition of the Lord really looks like. And if it's not corrected in us, parents, this is I'm talking to us here, if it's not corrected in us, then we're going to wound our kids deeply and it's going to affect them probably for the rest of their lives when they have the families of their own. It's no wonder then that Paul writes to parents, I think specifically he's pointing out to fathers, he's saying, hey guys, guard your own behavior first. How do we expect our kids to be kind to their sibling if we're not kind to them? I said this same thing about marriage. I said how we love and how we submit to our spouse affects generations to come. Guys, it's the same way here with parenting. How we parent our kids affects generations to come. Let me be clear about something in this, though. Moms and dads, if you've behaved in in such a way or said things in such a way that would provoke your child to anger or would discourage them, or you know for a fact you have done that, you absolutely should humble yourself and go ask for their forgiveness. Humble yourself. Would you rather your child see someone who never cries and apologizes and be that tough guy? Or would you rather let them see somebody who is real and genuine and vulnerable and cares for their children? I venture to say you all would want that, and I hope you would. If you have done something to provoke your child to anger or discourage them in any way, take the initiative, talk to them, apologize, humble yourself before them. I, I would even challenge you to ask your child, Hey, is there any way where I, ha- I may have done this 
in a setting where you actually want to hear what they have to say. Sometimes our kids would be too scared to even bring anything up. What a shame that would be. Don't rush to defend yourself in those situations. Don't rush to try to explain away your actions and why you behaved the way that you did. Just be quiet and listen. Hear from your children. And if there are things that you need help with in your family in this regard, reach out to somebody in the church. There's somebody in this church body that you know you could go to if you're struggling in this, in parenting, in relating to your children, maybe in apologizing to your children. Reach out and ask for help. Kids, here's that quote that Pastor Jason told you to listen for. It's by Tim Chester. He says, Learning to enjoy your parents' authority is the first step towards welcoming God's authority. Let me say that again. Learning to enjoy your parents' authority is the first step towards welcoming God's authority. Think about this, parents. This struck me as I read this week. Becoming a Christian requires obedience. That by itself makes sense, right? Becoming a Christian requires obedience, plain and simple. Obedience to the teachings of Christ, obedience to the gospel message, obedience to Jesus himself. But the reality of this is that if our children don't learn obedience, they can't be Christians. If our children never learn obedience, they can't be Christians. Because to be a Christian is to obey God. As parents, we have to be setting the example for Christ-like living in how we interact with our families, with our spouse, with our kids. And then we have to require obedience of our children. It's sobering. But it's a reality that their eternity hangs in the balance of what they do with obedience. We trust that God, though, in and through his good purposes of authority that he's given us, he's going to use our efforts as parents to draw our kids to him. We train our kids to obey mom and dad so that they can quickly have a firm grasp on what it means to then obey God. And what's the ultimate hope of our godly instruction in the home? I think and I hope it's one thing to point our kids to Jesus. Obedience to us is not the end goal. Yes, we require it, but it's not the end goal because we want them to obey us in such a way that when the time is right, they transfer that kind of obedience over to their Savior. So in all of our training, in all of our teaching, in all of our disciplining, we hope to point our kids to Jesus. Christian parenting is so much more than just teaching our kids how to be good little boys and girls. This is more than just moralism. It goes beyond that. This is gospel-centered parenting that has to focus on the Lord Jesus. So if our discipline and our punishments stop at just obey me because you have to every time, then we're missing something. Because we need to put this in the context of their obedience to the Father. So dads and moms... Let us gladly embrace the authority that God has granted us as parents for the glory of Christ and for the eternal good of our own kids. And kids, know a couple of things. God cares for you. God knows you. From what we've talked about today, from this word written directly to you, I think we could say also that he believes that you can understand what he's saying to you. It's important. Listen carefully to his words and to the words of your parents. He will help you obey them and he promises to bless you if you do. And we're going to sing a song as we finish our time together. And 
I picked it for this reason. I, I need I need the every hour. Moms and dads, do you feel this way? About five o'clock every day, <laughs> right? We need him every hour in every situation. Moms and dads, you need a savior to discipline properly, to lead your kids well. Kids, you need him every hour to obey. And so let's pray and then we'll sing together. Father, I thank you for your word. Lord, you've spoken to me as a child in this. I've still got parents who I need to honor. And I pray that you would help me to do that well. Lord, but you've spoken to me as a parent as well. And you showed me ways that I need to parent differently for the eternal good of my children, whom I love that you have given to me. Not eternally, Lord, because they're yours, but for this time, you have given my wife and I the joy and the responsibility of training them up in your ways. And Lord, we've quickly realized in the 10 years that we've had kids that it is so much harder done than said. And so, Lord, we need you every hour. We need you every minute. And so, God, I pray that as you have used your word this morning to affect us as kids and also as parents and people who aren't involved in that relationship right now at all, Lord, I pray that you would help us to see how all of this points us back to your son, Jesus. So we're thankful for the cross and we're thankful for his work, even still in our hearts. In Christ's name we pray.